Welcome to Coffee with Kia, where we spill the beans on all things financial aid. I'm Cassie Benedict, Director of Outreach Services with Kentucky Higher Education Assistance Authority. And I'm Keith Ritchie, Assistant Director of Outreach for Kia. And this is the inaugural episode of Coffee with Kia, where basically we spend some time with you talking about whatever's going on in the financial aid world today, right now. Um, we thought it was timely to kind of start this series. Um, Keith, why is it timely? What's going on right now? Well, here we are. The FAFS is about to open up uh, by the end of December. So we've got a lot of busy times ahead. So uh, it's super exciting for those of us who work in college access and financial aid. Right. And this, um, you know, if you're like listening to it on a podcast, if you're watching it on YouTube, basically it's for current college students, college access professionals, current high school students who are getting ready to go to college, uh, parents who are helping their student through this. And so, you know, we don't know where this is going to go. I mean, we could be famous someday. Like we could be famous podcasters um, and it will all start with coffee with Kia but if you are joining us via podcast via YouTube then you can you know watch this mm -hmm. every time we drop it and it uh, you can just see us looking awkward and then if you're listening on a podcast you can just listen to us looking awkward yeah absolutely. so um, yeah so that's kind of what we're going with um, here with coffee with Kia and we just want to talk about some important things that are happening in the financial aid world and so um, today our topic is uh, current college students navigating the FAFSA changes. There have been so many FAFSA changes. If you have even touched the financial aid world in any sense in the last six months, you know big changes are on the horizon. And so today we are going to be talking um, to specifically current college students about the changes and how they affect you. But we're gonna start out, Keith, with a little bit of coffee talk. Sure. And today's coffee talk is that I want you to tell me about your FAFSA experience when you were in high school. Well, first off, I'm old, so so you got to start with that. So the FAFSA looked a lot different back when I was in high school compared to like what it does now. Mm. I'm pretty jealous of our current high school seniors and current college students to be able to have a FAFSA now that has fewer questions, more automated, easier than ever before. I think that's great. When I was in high school, I did a paper FAFSA, and it took hours to get it done uh, and worse yet my parents made me look through their tax return so I kind of had to do it myself who to thunk it back then that I would eventually <laughs> become a Kia outreach counselor and working in financial aid but it took literally hours to get it done when it went back in 2006. That is like when you said first of all I'm old I wanted to say like first of all I'm older and so I literally have a memory of sitting at my coffee table in my living in my living room childhood living room mm -hmm. like with an ink pen filling out and i had my dad's tax return sitting next to to me and i was the one that was like matching up the lines and my parents didn't touch it they didn't know anything mm -hmm. about it and so i had to kind of do the whole process i didn't have i mean i had a great school counselor but i didn't work with him on it he just said go follow your fafsa mm -hmm. and i did and so you know, today, now, like you said, when it's, we're the ones helping students file and it, I'm, I'm sitting here and it's like 15 minutes and you're done and I'm like, <laughs> mind blowing versus what we went through yeah. on the paper FAFSAs. It's amazing so. how much better this thing has gotten over yes. the years and 
you know, you, you hear a lot of, of the stuff about the changes coming down the pike with the FAFSA, and it will take us some getting used to. It's a new form. It's a new calculation. But at the end of the day, it is meant to make things a little bit easier for families, a little bit more automated, fewer financial questions. You're not going to be busting out your tax returns as much as what you would have in the past. So all of those are, are huge positives in my mind. I agree with that. And so let's jump into it with the current college students. So, you know, you we, Keith and I have spent the last six months training college access professionals. Our outreach counselors are out in the field. We have 13 outreach counselors in the College Info Roadshow across the state of Kentucky. They're working with current seniors, getting them ready. To the current high school seniors, this isn't new. This isn't a change. This is just FAFSA reality. They didn't file it before. And so our minds often turn to current college students and their parents who have been through this process and suddenly you wake up October 1st, the fast is not there right. like you were expecting. Mm -hmm. And when it is there, it's all going to look different. I mean, take everything you know about FAFSA basically and wipe it away. Yeah. And so talk to me, Keith, about one of the biggest changes is the timeline and why did it not open in October and when is it going to open? Yeah, I mean, usually you, you'll hear us preach and preach and preach about October 1st, right, in Kentucky. We've really you know, sounded the, uh, from our megaphones. We beat that dead horse. <laughs> yeah, yes. we have. Um, but because they're making so many different changes to the website, the calculation's different, they just honestly, at the federal level, just needed more time. Right. Um, so, you know, it was recently announced that, that the FAFSA will be open by December 31st. So by the end of December, this thing will be open and ready to go. Right. Um, the one thing that is important to note, though, for anyone, you know, watching today, it's super important to remember that this timeline change is only going to impact this version of the FAFSA. That's right. As soon as we get past this 24-25 cycle, we're going back to October 1st like how we were before. Absolutely. And a couple things to add. Um, you know, we're actually at Kia kind of using December 31st as an effective opening date. Mm -hmm. Even though they're saying the word, you know, we hear the word by a lot from the Department of Ed, by December 31st, by December 31st we're effectively using December 31st at Kia as an opening date. Um, and even additionally, we don't even want you to file in the month of December. Should it open at any point while Christmas break is happening and you're not on your college campus, we actually recommend you wait until January, get back onto your campus. You know, we've been working with college financial aid personnel all semester long, we know that they're going to be hosting FAFSA workshops. Kia outreach counselors are going to be on college campuses hosting FAFSA workshops. There's going to be help. There are going to be walkthroughs. There's good. There's a walkthrough right now. Um, so, you know, if on a good year, you guys have filed the FAFSA before you know this, if on a good year there were glitches and delays in the process and the website was glitchy, Think of all the changes that have happened. There's going to be glitches this year, and there are going to be delays and issues and kinks to work out. So we don't see any harm. You know, years ago, and you may have experienced this as a parent, it was like 8 a.m., October 1st, mm -hmm. you get on there, you get your FAFSA filed. And now, it's a then it became a little bit more casual about when you filed, still early, but, you know, more casual. Now we're saying, give it a couple of weeks, let it breathe for a minute, and then get on there and file. Yeah, I think that's super important because at the end of the day, even if this thing does open up a little bit earlier than expected, and let's say, you know, it's open for a week or so, 
uh, in December uh, before before the new year, you might as well let other states work out those kinks. So we come back from Christmas break in January. Our outreach counselors are available. College reps are available to assist. It'll just be a much cleaner, more finished product to work with. And I think I think everyone will appreciate how much easier that process will be yes. when the website's up and running effectively and, and you're not getting timed out or anything along those lines. Absolutely. We've all lived that life as <laughs> Kia Outreach Counselors of being at a FAFSA workshop on October 1st, January 1st, whatever it is, and it crashes. And you're just sitting there with like 50 people staring at you. Yeah. It's not fun. Right. Yeah. So, so I wonder like, what do I do with my hands, you know, in front of everyone? So. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> I had a group of people one time. We were like in a library. It was January 1st. The FAFSA had opened and it, it uh, crashed. It went right. down. And there were seriously probably 40 people in the room. And I called the 1-800 number. There's a 1-800 number for the FAFSA. And I called it and I said, you know, what are we looking at here? And they said, it could be several more hours before this thing is back up and running. And so I looked at the, the crowd of people and I said, okay, our choices are we can wait together or I can give you all paper FAFSAs. We can go through it. We can fill out the paper to use as a guide mm -hmm. for filing whenever we it's back up and running. And every single one of them were like, well, wait. <laughs> like, I don't blame them. <laughs> so we played like heads up, seven up. Uh, okay, so... One of the biggest questions that I'm hearing right now from people who have filed the FAFSA mm -hmm. before is I already have an FSA ID. I already have that username and password. What do I do? Do I change it? Do I need to get a new one? Is it gone? Is it still there? Right. So the good news is if you have an FSA ID already, you don't have to worry too much about it because it's already going to be there. Once you set up one of these FSA IDs, it's there for the long haul. The one homework assignment I'm going to give everyone, though, if you do have one of these FSA IDs floating around already, log in, do yourself a favor, and just check and make sure you have a current active email address. Mm -hmm. As long as you've got that good to go, you're ready to roll in terms of the FSA ID. The other piece of it is, though, there are going to be a lot more uh, situations where not just one parent might need an FSA ID if you're a dependent student, but actually both parents now moving forward might need an FSA ID based on things like how they file their taxes. So. Right. I would just encourage everyone just to keep it simple. I think everyone should go ahead, knock out the FSA ID now ahead of time. Go ahead, take care of it, and that way it'll be one less thing to worry about when the FAFSA opens. I agree with that completely. And you know, Keith mentioned a really important change that's happened is that now you could be in a situation where both of your parents need FSA IDs. Um, let's clarify and say not parents who are divorced from each other or separated, right. yeah. or maybe they never got married and they don't live together. So who we're talking about are the parents in your home. Um, and we're gonna talk here in a second about um, how you identify which parent you put on the FAFSA. But if, if your parents are living in your home with you and you have a two-parent home, there's a very strong chance both of those parents will need FSA IDs. And so we like to just keep it really efficient and say, get them both FSA IDs. And if we end up not needing one of them, great, but um, go ahead and get them both FSA IDs. And, and that's something you could be working on now before the FAFSA even opens. Yeah, we strongly encourage, go ahead and knock that out ahead of time because it can take a few days for that FSA ID to go through a verification process to right. basically just you know verify you are who you are. Um, and you know that's gonna make your life a lot easier when the FAFSA opens if you already have that piece put to bed so that you're not waiting three to five days or in some cases up to two weeks for this verification right. to come back of your FSA ID, you want that to already be active and verified by the time you jump onto the FAFSA. Absolutely, absolutely.
Do you need help paying for college? Your first step is completing a FAFSA, free application for federal student aid. The 24-25 FAFSA will be available in late December 2023 and is more user-friendly. More students will be eligible for aid than ever before. Kia counselors and others are ready to help you. You're not in this alone. For more information, use the QR code or text money to 800-928-8926. Or you can visit gearupky.org slash money. Welcome back, folks. Uh, Cassie, before the break, we had talked a little bit about the FSAID process. I have a question for you. Okay. Let's say, you know, you're a student and you're setting up, you know, you have your FSAID set up. Right. And we know that we, you know, good chance that we're going to need parents to set one up as well. Right. What if my parent doesn't have a social security number? Great news for students whose parents may not have social security numbers this year. You know, last year, we, it was quite a process with having to fill out the FAFSA and then print out the paper signature page, sign the paper signature page, send it on, wait and wait and wait for it to be processed, maybe never hear anything back. Um, this year, the process is a lot easier and better because everyone can now get an FSA ID. So you can, if you don't have a social security number, you can still get an FSA ID. If you're a parent who doesn't have a social, you can go to studentaid.gov. When you attempt to fill out your FSA ID form, there will be a box at the bottom that says, I don't have a social security number. That will take you to a TransUnion identity verification section where it'll ask you some questions about, you know, maybe an address that you used to live, in, live at or um, a car that you have owned or mm -hmm. currently owned. Just some identity verification things, some things that you will easily recognize. Yeah, I've seen those forms before. It'd be like, you know, our records show in 2019 you had this make and model car or whatever. Right. You bought a car, what was the make and model? Those types of questions, Exactly. Right? And those types of things, if you can answer that correctly, your identity can be verified on the spot, mm -hmm. no wait time like there is with a social security number, and then you will have your FSA ID. You'll have that username and password. Now, you won't be able to go to through that identity verification section until the FAFSA opens. So where, you know, students who maybe maybe dad didn't have an FSA ID and so you're going to go on now and go ahead and get one for him. If your dad doesn't have a social security number, he will have to wait until the FAFSA opens. So that okay. um, kind of alternative method of getting an FSA ID, if you will, mm -hmm. that doesn't open until the FAFSA does. If that doesn't work for you, then there is a manual process of setting up an FSA ID. So there's a phone number that you call and apply for an FSA ID that way. You kind of give them the information and then they'll ask for certain things to verify your identity. A driver's license, um, specifically for the state of Kentucky, you can get a driver's license if you don't have a social security number. So you can use that as an identity verification form. A community ID, a state issued ID, um, a utility bill from your home. Certain things that they'll need to verify your identity. And then a couple of days later, your identity will be verified, you will get your FSA ID. And so that's good news for any college students who maybe filed last year using that signature page. Mm -hmm. It's gonna be a lot easier this year because once the FAFSA opens, your parent can get an FSA ID, even if they don't have a social security number, and then they can log in, they can upload their tax information using an I-10 number if they have that, they can sign the FAFSA, submit the FAFSA, all using that FSA ID. A lot awesome. easier, yeah. good news for those students. Yeah, and I mean, when you think about it, it's the give and take, right? So, like, this new process is not open 
ahead of time before the FAFSA opens. But once that FAFSA opens, our understanding is it'll be ready immediately at right. the same time. No wait time. And instead of going through Social Security Administration to verify identity, it, if they're able to do the identity verification process through TransUnion, it should be like pretty much immediate, right? Right. Because there's nothing to verify with Social Security Administration. Absolutely. Right. Because that identity verification mm -hmm. is the verification, just right. happens right now. So great news for those students um, and those parents. So, um, Keith, the form itself, super different. Mm -hmm. We've seen it. We've seen prototypes. We've been walked through it. We've seen screenshots. Kind of walk us through the highlights of what is different on the form. Yeah. So, I, I walked through it myself the other day, mm -hmm. uh, the 2425 prototype, and it really does a good job of leading you through from start to finish. There are fewer questions, a lot fewer financial questions. So, you know, we, we remember the old way of doing the FAFSA, of busting out our tax returns and going like line by line through a lot of tax related mm -hmm. questions. You hardly see any of those. As long as you, you know, are, are basically giving consent and approval for the IRS to use that data exchange, that direct data exchange, it's going to fill out most of that stuff for you. So and that was part, the headache. Exactly. That, was the, that was the headache part. Yeah. In my opinion, you know, the, the financial stuff has always been the hardest part of the FAFSA. So mm -hmm. with a lot of that being put to bed automatically through that direct data exchange, it really is a, a more seamless process to get through one. Um, one of the things that, that I would certainly recommend anyone doing, especially your first time through this, um, you know, soon after you log into the FAFSA, you'll notice uh, a series of what we call onboarding mm -hmm. screens. Onboarding screens, there are like four of them. And a part of this, there's a quick video you can watch that kind of walks you through what to expect during the FAFSA. It talks about, you know, what information you should gather to make it as easy as possible. Talks a little bit about, you know, some of the terms that, that we'll discuss, like contributor and who mm -hmm. else needs to potentially go on your FAFSA. And it even gives you a little bit of like a sneak peek on what to expect after the FAFSA is actually completed. So, you know, I know sometimes with, with online forms, you have a tendency of wanting to just like skip through some of the fine print. We know you do it. Yes, All absolutely. We know you do it. I've been guilty of that a lot uh, throughout my life. But this is actually legitimately something I would take an extra couple minutes to go through those four onboarding screens, read through what it has to say, because if you can take those couple minutes to do that, it's going to make your life a lot easier when you go through the form. And I especially think like as a returning college student, you know, you filed the form before, you think to yourself like, I've done this before, it's fine, I got it. But it's so different. Right. And there's so many uh, just variables out there that I do think take, like you said, take the time that first time. Mm -hmm. You know, you only see those onboarding screens the very first time you log in for the first 2425 FAFSA, the first time you log in. Um, just watch the video it's a video you know it's not like mm -hmm. you're going to read pages and pages of stuff right. it's a video watch it see what it's all about um i think it's gonna you're gonna have fewer questions right. fewer issues so you know a student gets on let's say i'm a, a current college student right now i have my fsa id mm -hmm. i've checked it it's january 15th it's oh the fafsa is open i'm getting in there i watch my onboarding screens then what can I expect? Like, am, do I need to be there with my mom? Like, my mom's going to be, how do I know who goes on? The, talk me through all the things. Yeah, so one of the words you're going to get very familiar with throughout this process is the word contributor. Mm -hmm. And before I talk about, like, what that actually means, let's first talk about what it doesn't mean. So when we hear the word contributor, like on the FAFSA, or you hear this from the college level or us at Kia, 
just know when they say the word contributor, they really have nothing to do with financial contributions to college. Right. It's not signing anyone up to pay for anything. What they mean when they say the word contributor is that you're simply contributing information on a FAFSA. Okay. So like any FAFSA that's out there, the student is obviously a contributor because a lot of it has to do with their information. But for students who are considered dependent for financial aid purposes, also parent would be you know thought of as one of these contributors. And then, you know, in, in some situations, if let's say your parents are divorced and, and, you know, let's say you're going with mom's information, but mom is remarried, then technically step parent would also be considered a contributor right. because their information would be put on the FAFSA. So, you know, as you go through this process, once you identify whose information you need to go with, that's what will determine who needs to set up an FSA ID, for instance, who will need to provide that consent to get that tax and income information onto the FAFSA. Let me stop you there and say, how do we know? Like you're saying, once you identify, once you figure out who right. you put on there, how do I know what parent I fall under? Let's say I'm a, a child of divorce. How do I know? So on the FAFSA, they have this student personal circumstances section. Mm -hmm. It used to be called the dependency section. It's really okay. the same thing. But essentially, it's going to be all of these situations that are listed. And if you can check the box that says yes to any of these, it automatically makes you considered an independent student, which simply means you don't have to provide anyone else's information on your FAFSA. Okay. So you and you alone. Some examples of, the, of those types of situations would be like if you're in legal guardianship of someone other than a biological parent. Mm -hmm. It could be that you've been in foster care since the age of 13. Uh, you've been deemed homeless or at risk of being homeless over the last you know few months. Those types of things would automatically make you a dependent. But let's just say for sake of argument, you go through that student personal circumstances section and none of those situations listed apply to you. You'll check a box that says none of, none of these apply. Then it will start asking a series of questions about your parents and their situation. It'll ask, like, for instance, uh, you know, do you live with both biological parents? Mm -hmm. If you answer yes to that, then both of their information would go on your FAFSA. Okay. If you don't live with both biological parents, then it starts to try to figure out, okay, is there a parent th that has provided more financial support to you over the last year than the other? Mm -hmm. So let's just say either parents are, have never been married or maybe they, they were married and now they're divorced or separated, the question, the fork in the road that you're at at that point in the FAFSA is which of these two parents, biological mother or biological father, has provided the most financial support to me over the last 12 months? So let's just say for sake of argument it was mom. Okay. If that's the case, the next question that'll pop up is, okay, if mom or, or if, if one parent has provided more financial support than the other, is this parent that we're going with who has provided that financial support, have they been remarried? And if so, that's when step parent gets in, in, involved with the FAFSA. Okay. If not, in that example, it would just be mother who we would be adding to our FAFSA as a contributor. Okay. But it walks you through that, through a series of questions. It'll tell you, okay, based on these responses, this is whose information that you would need to go. And then it simply has you walk through a form where you put in that person's information. So like in that example, where you put in mom's date of birth, her social security number, her email, and you can actually literally hit a button that invites her to be a part of your FAFSA. Awesome. So tell me, um, you're talking about who contributes more financially. Mm -hmm. I'm a college student. My mom doesn't send me any money. So my dad doesn't send me any money. But... Uh, I go home for Christmas break, spring break. I still live with one of my parents. So talk about what does financial support mean? It can mean a lot of different things. So it doesn't necessarily mean giving you cold, hard cash, whatever, you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, that's arises. a plus, right. but. Yeah, yeah. because yeah. I certainly didn't have that when I was in college with no. our parents, unfortunately. No. I asked, 
a ton, yeah. but didn't get it too much. I came, became very familiar with the word no. Right, I did too. <laughs> and that was a hard thing for me to hear for yeah. a while. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it, it can be anything. So like, you know, you mentioned in that example, let's say, you know, you've, you're moving off to college, right? Let's say you live in a dorm, so you're not really living with either or, but like maybe on break, you know, who is, you know, are they charging you rent when they, when you go back home? If not, well, that's a housing expense that they are supporting you financially. Mm -hmm. uh, are, are you buying all your meals on your own? Well, is one parent doing that more than the other? It could be clothing, it could be gas money, it could be a number of things. But you just, health insurance. Health insurance, yeah. yeah. It could be anything that, that allows you to, to sustain. Sure. So it doesn't necessarily mean who has given me the most money per se, but who has just directly supported you the most. And if it's close to a tie, one of the, the new features of this FAFSA, they call it like a parent wizard, where it'll mm -hmm. help you kind of come to that determination through a series of questions uh, that, that, you know, like what we've talked about, that'll help you kind of identify which one we should probably go with on the FAFSA. Okay, so it's going to help these students out. Right. But okay. one thing that, like, a couple things that are important about that when we're talking about financial support, what it doesn't mean is it doesn't necessarily mean who made the most money. Okay. And it doesn't even mean who claimed who on taxes. Because if you think about it, like, there are a lot of situations in divorce where, where, you know, they'll take turns like every other year. Okay, this is my year to claim the kid and next year it's your turn and you go back and forth. It's, that's why it's not like that. Mm -hmm. Technically, 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 if it is truly a 50-50 split, then the guidance on the FAFSA does say go with the person who made more. Right. But at the end of the day, even if it was a dollar more of support, go with that parent. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that for sure. Um, and so then you said you're gonna invite them to participate in your FAFSA. Mm -hmm. So let's say now I'm mom and I'm sitting at work and my kid is at UK and they have just started their FAFSA and they invite me, what's my experience gonna be? So once the student hits that button that says invite this contributor onto my FAFSA, they should almost immediately get an email in their inbox that says, hey, your student has invited you to be a part of the FAFSA. And then literally there's a login button in that email message. They click on that. If they already have their FSA ID set up and established and verified and it's good to go, they just go ahead and log right in. When they put in that demographic information that's tied in from that FSA ID, like the social and date of birth and mm -hmm. email and stuff, it knows that it needs to be tied into this student's FAFSA. Awesome. So at that point in time, the mother doesn't have to be there side by side with the student. It doesn't have to be done at the same time. For that matter, it doesn't even matter who does it first. It could be the student who starts their FAFSA and then invites the mom or the dad, or it could be the parent who starts the FAFSA and invites the student later on. So it doesn't matter who actually like gets that process started, yeah. as long as every contributor who needs to be on the FAFSA gets on there. That's what we're, we're, what we're looking for in order to get to the finish line. How do I know if I'm a college student, I'm off at college, I'm, I'm busy with you know life, and, and you know college students, you know, they're involved and they're doing things, they work. I, I've not talked to mom this week, but I know that I invited her on Monday. How do I know where mom is in the process of, of contributing to my FAFSA? So one of the coolest things about this new FAFSA is this idea of like, no longer is the FAFSA this like long linear form where mm -hmm. like, you know, we're, we remember the times like, okay, student types their stuff and then get up, mom has to sit down and do her stuff. Right. We're kind He's of beyond that. Exactly. Yeah. Now it's more like this living, breathing, form this hub of information okay so as a student you'll be able to log on to your fafsa throughout this process and it'll tell you if it's still waiting for information from the, the other contributors like your parents for instance so it'll give you like an update anytime you log on to studentaid.gov you'll be able to kind of see what the latest is one thing that is interesting to note though 
no matter who it is who's the last contributor of a family to go onto that FAFSA, whoever that last person is, whether it be the student or the parent, whoever that last person is to finish up their portion of it, they're actually going to be the ones to see a submit button to actually get it to the finish line and actually submit the FAFSA. Awesome, awesome. So one thing I want to note um, just about the changes and something you may see different this year versus last year is about asset reporting. Mm -hmm. So um, this is one of the biggest changes that, you, that you'll see on the FAFSA and you may not even see it on your FAFSA. You won't see it if you're, if you're an ind or excuse me, a dependent student, you're filing under your parents, your parents made $60,000 a year or less in 2022. You won't see any asset questions. So, you know, you may hear me talking about this and then you get on the FAFSA and you're like, they didn't ask me any of that. If you make under, if your family makes under $60,000 a year, you won't be asked any asset questions at all. So that's all good news. Now, if you're, if you do have to report assets, your family makes more than $60,000 a year, in years past, if your family had a business and it employed fewer than 100 people, or if your family had a farm that you lived on, you didn't report those things as assets. Those were kind of sheltered, right. if you will. Um, they, they weren't considered part of what the government thought needed to go into the calculation to see how much you could pay toward college. Now, because it's, you know, EFC is gone, expected family co contribution, when you submit your FAFSA, you get your FAFSA submission summary, the, the result that you're going to get is a student aid index now. It's not what we think you can contribute to your college education financially. It's an index of eligibility. And so part of the calculation that goes into that SAI, that index of eligibility, is your business, your family business, no matter how many people it employs, and your family farm, whether or not you live on it. And so some of the things, some of the ways that you calculate that with the family farm, if you live on it, mm -hmm. you have to figure out the net value. So we're talking, if you sold the farm today, what would you get? minus any debt that you still have on the farm um, or the equipment or anything housed on it. Then, once you get that net value, you'd have to subtract the portion that your house is located on. Okay. Okay. Lots so like of primary calculations. Residence. Your primary residence. Right. Exactly. Okay. If sense. you do live on this farm. Mm -hmm. If it's a business, you report net value. Mm -hmm. So if you sold your business today, minus any debt that you have. If you're a business owner, you probably have debt associated mm -hmm. with that business. So you're gonna subtract that out and that net value, those will be reported as assets now to where in the past they never were. And so that may change your calculation a little bit. It may change what your eligibility is. Um, another change of, that may change your eligibility is in the past we, we divided your parents expected family contribution that EFC by the number of students they had in college at any given time and that's gone away so we don't there's no, it's called a sibling discount we don't divide by number in college anymore and so um, what we may see Keith is people in the past who were eligible for Pell Grant funds state grants that free mm -hmm. money that helps you pay for college that eligibility may be reduced. So talk to us about if a student does encounter that. You know, it's January 15th, they file their FAFSA, they see their SAI, and then a few weeks later they get a notification from their school and there's no Pell Grant on it, there's no cap, there's no Kentucky tuition grant, what do I do? Yeah, so there's a silver lining with that, you know, because mm -hmm. there are a lot of changes that, that can impact eligibility on this new FAFSA. So. 
uh, let's say, you know, in that situation, last year we completed this FAFSA and it said we get X amount of dollars of a Pell Grant. And now all of a sudden we're staring at this and like, uh-oh, well, it doesn't say anything about a Pell Grant on mm -hmm. here. What do you do? Well, there's a silver lining with it. And essentially the federal government is giving extra wiggle room to the colleges to be able to work through what they call professional judgment appeals. So if you're in a situation where a student, uh, you know, or as a student, you've lost that Pell eligibility because of the elimination of that sibling discount. Right. What we would encourage you to do at Kia is simply reach out to your financial aid office and let them know, hey, there's something different about this FAFSA compared to what I've gotten in the past when it comes to like Pell Grants, mm -hmm. and just see what they can do to work with you. Like any professional judgment appeal, it's not like a magic wand. It's not like the like one size fits all. This is how it, it gets happens. fixed. Yeah. But it's worth having a conversation with your financial aid counselor. So, True. and and I would do that as soon as you could can. So like once you submit that FAFSA and you notice that uh oh I've lost some eligibility compared to what I would have had in the past, immediately let them know as soon as you can so that you can start that process to have that conversation to potentially see what that college could do to maybe help you out. Awesome. Well, that is good news yeah. that yeah. that if they do see a change, it doesn't mean withdraw from your college. You can't go back. You're not going to mm -hmm. be able to graduate from college because you lost all this money. It does definitely doesn't mean that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, once you submit this FAFSA and, you know, or at any point through that process, like what would you say, like what would be some resources to help? Let's say mm -hmm. you, you get started with the FAFSA you get stuck on something or you're, you're a little confused on how to report like some of these assets like we sure. talked about, like in terms of net worth of farms and net worth of businesses, or even maybe you've completed the FAFSA and you just need a little more clarification on the overall picture of the landscape with the FAFSA and student aid and all that kind of stuff. Who could potentially help you with that? So we are so blessed in Kentucky because we do have Kia outreach and Kia, and I mean, I'm biased to these people because they're my staff. <laughs> right. um, but Kia outreach staff are, they're everywhere. Okay. Yeah. We have 13 outreach counselors across the state of Kentucky. We have College Info Roadshow, which is our mobile classroom. They're available to via phone, text, email, um, social media. They're all over social media. I mean, short of like going to their home and knocking <laughs> on their door, please don't do that. You can get in touch with these people and they will help you through the process. And they're a great resource because this is really what we do. Right. I mean, we really do FAFSA help as, as a huge part of what we offer in terms of our services. In addition to um, the outreach counselors who are out in your communities, your financial aid office at mm -hmm. your college, um, they're gonna be busy, guys. <laughs> they're gonna be real busy. So be patient with them, be understanding, because a lot of the changes fall on their shoulders. And so they're right. really kind of going through it right now. Um, we have an 800 number. You can text or call it's our social media. We're always putting out content to try and help you through these processes. We have that FAFSA walkthrough. Keith did a wonderful FAFSA walkthrough <laughs> um, about, you know, step by step. You can literally pull it up on your screen and have him right next to you virtually filling it out. Um, just all kinds of resources out there. KYGoesToCollege.com, um, Kia.com, K-H-E-A-A.com, all of these things, great resources to really walk you through all the changes, all the things you need to be your support during this season. Yeah, yeah, for real though, we are in every single county in the state of Kentucky, so if there's ever anything that, that we can do to help, certainly don't hesitate to reach out to us. We're, we're standing by and, and ready to 
to help you get to the finish line with the FAFSA, but even beyond the FAFSA, Absolutely. you'll help with scholarships, grants, just shining a light on some of the opportunities that we are blessed to have here in Kentucky. Absolutely, and if you're a parent watching, we've got resources for you. If you're a college access professional watching, listening, we've got we've got um, lots of resources for you, and we will keep coming to you and having our coffee with you and telling you all of the things, spilling all the beans about financial aid. So thank you for joining us for this episode of Coffee with Kia. Yeah. I'm Cassie Benedict. Keith Ritchie. And we'll see you next time. Cheers. Mm-hmm.